Zeitgeist Turkey, coming to you weekly from Istanbul. Your smart guide to the state of Turkey. Welcome to Zeitgeist Turkey. This is Can Suç Amnubek coming to you from my house in Istanbul with Can Selçuk'i on the other side of the line, also connecting from his house in Istanbul. Hi Can. Hi Can How is life treating you since last week? Pretty much the same. I've been staying at home, only going out to the markets, exploring new routines uh, within the house, trying to get used to the isolated life. How about yourself? I feel fine mostly. Just feeling the heat of the very same routine, being confined in an apartment like you. I sometimes miss my single house with the nice yard in Washington and I'm also obsessed with disinfecting everything on and on. I must say I've become a master in disinfecting packages of my online orders before I let them into the house. John, these feelings are very trivial, of course. As long as we are healthy and we are not struggling with COVID symptoms, the rest does not matter really. And on the physical front, on the physical health front, so far so good, thankfully. But as you know, we had some hiccups in the last week concerning the health of a team member. I believe it's um, part of our responsibility to share the news with our audience. Our editor, the podcast editor of Duva English, Azra, is isolating herself at home together with her mom over deep suspicion that her father is uh, COVID-19 positive. He was hospitalized a few days ago with high fever and dry cough, the two symptoms um, for the virus. His test results are not officially out yet, but he's treated uh, as a potential coronavirus case. At least that's how um, the doctors put it uh, to the family. Though he's not intubated, that's kind of good news under these circumstances. Azra and um, her mom, they're all right, fortunately, except that they both lost their sense for smell. It will be interesting to see how the recovery period is going to unfold uh, for Azra's dad and we'll be following closely as uh, the numbers are revealed first time demographically by the health minister last week. Istanbul turns out as the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak in Turkey. No surprises there, we were expecting it. A city with a population of over uh, 16-17 million. So the correlation there uh, was going to be high. Uh, in any case, uh, but this is officially revealed finally, and this is something that you have been campaigning for. You have been insisting that the government should reveal the demographic distribution of the positive cases. First, let me uh, wish a quick recovery for uh, Azra's father, and I hope uh, he's back uh, in his house uh, very soon. I think the government took a correct step in disclosing the number of infected, the number of tested and the number of deaths by city, by province last week. Because we can already see that after this announcement in the poll that we did last week between Thursday and Saturday, right after this announcement, people's awareness of the situation has increased tremendously. The number of percentage of the population buried uh, over this uh, coronavirus has doubled, almost doubled compared to our survey two weeks ago. So this was what I was talking about, Jansu. This is the kind of urgency, feeling of urgency that we needed. And now it appears that it's finally there. And I think we will see the benefit of this by decreased number of uh, socialization uh, across the country. I think this was a good move and I think this is how it should continue. People now understand 
that nobody is immune uh, from this virus. Well, actually, two weeks ago, we discussed this in our first episode. I had a conversation with uh, with a government official, Turkish government official, who actually listened to our conversation. And he was actually saying that the reason for them not to reveal uh, these numbers on a city-by-city basis was the fact that they were worried that in the eastern provinces, people might actually feel relief that the big numbers are actually in uh, the metropolitan cities, in the three major cities of Turkey. So they won't be resorting to precautions as much as they should be. So that was the at least uh, from the government side, that was their uh, justification point. I see the logic behind that, but not like people were extremely cautious across the country that these numbers actually caused people to loosen up. People were already not taking this seriously. If anything, I feel these numbers actually help people understand how serious and widespread this is. Again, in the poll that we did two weeks ago, you know, nobody seemed to care about this. And in the poll that we did a month ago, if you remember, half of the population, almost half of the population said they would not get vaccinated if a vaccine was found. So I see the logic behind that argumentation, but the facts don't support it. And now the numbers that we get from the field suggest that actually revelation of these numbers helped people grasp the seriousness, the gravity of the situation. Istanbul's numbers are very alarming. We are talking about uh, a little over uh, 20,000 positive cases across the country and uh, more than 60% of these uh, cases are uh, from Istanbul. And they are flooding the, the hospitals uh, in the city. It seems that we, these, these are still early stages of the outbreak in Turkey. We have seen members of the science committee under the health ministry talking about a possible peak of the outbreak towards the end of April. Uh, judging by their observations and comments, uh, we are still uh, nowhere near the peak of this outbreak in the country. We still have a few weeks to go. Coming back to the numbers in Istanbul, the government seems to be resisting the idea of a lockdown, uh, a total lockdown in Istanbul. Probably the reason behind this is the economic concerns. President Erdogan does not want the economy to stop at a very critical stage. Turkish economy has already been in a period of stagnation. You're the economist here, correct me if I'm wrong. And now we have this global pressure uh, on the economy, plus we'll have all the production and services, possibly a majority of the consumption declining in the heat. So this seems like the main reason why President Erdogan and his people are resisting demands for a lockdown in the country and especially in Istanbul. How do you think this might actually affect the crisis management mechanism in Turkey? This is really putting a lot of risk in Istanbul and potentially on the other parts of the country as well. I mean, from what I understand from the reactions that Minister of Health gave during his press conferences last week, that the Science Council actually did suggest a total lockdown, which appears to be declined by the presidency. Because um, it, it has to be a political decision. Of course, it has to be a political decision. At the end of the day, when the elections come, it's the politicians that are answering to the people. And also, Mr. Imamoğlu, the mayor of Istanbul, pleaded uh, many times to the government saying that we need a lockdown uh, in Istanbul. 
but right now the customs are open, so international trade is still ongoing. And as long as international trade continues, I think the government will be reluctant to announce a total lockdown, which would stop production altogether. But demand is already going down. And let me give you some numbers. When you look at the amount of expenditures by bank cards or credit cards in various sectors, and when you compare last week with the average of the rest of the year, meaning from January to mid-March, spending in every single sector contracted except for market and shopping malls. Shopping malls, I suspect, is also has to do with groceries shopping. Demand is really, really, really shrinking. And I think we will reach a time when even uh, international trade won't be uh, a good enough reason to you know, stay away from a lockdown. And also, I think it's important to inform the audience that already last week, there have been partial lockdowns on small villages and counties uh, across Turkey. I'm not quite sure what the number is. It's not significant, but, you know, the Ministry of Interior actually uh, announced this last week. So I think the government is continuing the option to postpone this for as long as they can to the point where it's no longer manageable. But from the numbers announced last week, it may already be coming non-manageable for Istanbul. So I would be very curious to see actually what the, the math behind this, uh, this decision is. Given the gravity of the situation, this has to be a national emergency, presumably uniting different segments of uh, the political spectrum. But this is not really happening. Uh, lockdown debates plus the donation campaigns have become the center of a new political polarization in Turkey, as it turns out. Uh, since last week. First, um, President Erdogan appeared in front of cameras and launched a nationwide donation campaign to support the vulnerable, the people in need in fight with the coronavirus. And the next day, the major municipalities in Ankara, in Istanbul, in Izmir, uh, the municipalities which were won by the CHP exactly a year ago in last year's local elections of 31st of March. And these mayors... Uh, separately launched their own donation campaigns, which were quickly stopped, cancelled by the, the Ministry of Interior. And President Erdogan was obviously behind uh, this move of the Interior Ministry, and he apparently took the ownership of the decision by saying that uh, these individual efforts by the municipalities are ruining the national effort of a bigger donation campaign. And this, this has become all of a sudden a very Turkish uh, polarized way of dealing with a major crisis, which is actually threatening the lives of people. Just I find this very interesting because just when we thought politics was frozen in Turkey because of the coronavirus, it's, it's right back on the agenda. But I also have to say that I find it quite interesting that Mr. Erdogan, President Erdogan, chose to pick this fight. I think this is harmful for him on two fronts. First, Turkey got caught up with the coronavirus crisis and the economic fallout at the worst possible time when it was already suffering from macroeconomic vulnerabilities. So one would think that any support that he could get actually would help his campaign to remedy the harms, the suffering of people due to the coronavirus. So to pick a fight like this with the local uh, administrations doesn't really make sense. And also, as you know, uh, three weeks ago, the government unveiled a support program of 100 billion Turkish liras, around you know 16 
billion US dollars, part of the aim was to prevent unemployment. But that's helping the people at a higher level. That's for people who are already have a job with the private sector. Now, I've been repeating for a while now that package actually failed to reach the most vulnerable part of the society, working in the informal sector, people that live from paycheck to paycheck. When you cut the municipalities, local administration out of the crisis relief mechanisms, then you're also risking not reaching the most vulnerable part of the society because think about it, municipalities are best positioned to actually reach out to those people. And when the time comes, if the municipalities can't reach out to those people, and if the government fails to do so as well, this will be attributed to the failure of Erdogan's AK Party, not to the municipalities. So from this perspective, is taking a lot of hard punches at Mr. Imamoglu, and he did make some rather important mistakes in the past year, but it appears that at the end of the day, he managed to keep most of his support. So this is the second reason why I think it's politically wrong for Mr. Erdogan targets Mr. Imamoglu and Mr. Yavac so directly on a subject that's very difficult to justify people because at the end of the day, you're blocking help that's going to come to the electorate. It's very difficult for me to understand. John, this is an important point. I certainly don't know if this is a political move which is going to backfire on President Erdogan. But one thing is for sure. There were people who donated to these campaigns launched by the municipalities. Uh, given by the numbers uh, by the Istanbul municipality, more than 2,000 people have donated uh, to the municipality. A little over 900,000 Turkish liras were collected. Uh, we are talking about something around uh, $140,000. This money is from a perspective, confiscated. This money is people's money. Speaking of donations, John, not only because municipalities held their own donation campaigns, the fact that the president personally launched a donation campaign sparks a new debate. Especially on social media, this has become viral. I know that Turkey is not the only country opening donation campaigns, officially opening up uh, donation campaigns, but Probably the way it was done triggered such a debate. I think you're absolutely right on the spot there, Jansu. Turkey is not the only country that's collecting donations through the official channels. I mean, even Germany is doing this and, you know, they're pretty well off. But that's not really the point here. The point here is all the other countries who are requesting donations through the official channels, through the, through the governments, the donation campaign does not constitute the centerpiece of government response to the crisis. It's an element of the response to the crisis. The way President Erdogan announced this, it appeared that this was the central element of uh, government's response to the crisis. And that's why it sparked so much criticism. You know, take, for example, Germany. I mean, they are spending billions and billions of euros in mitigating the fallout, the economic fallout uh, from this pandemic. And that's the center of their uh, crisis response. The donation campaign is an element of that, right? But in Turkey, we spent 40 billion US dollars on uh, Syrian refugees over the course of the past 10 years. How is it that we cannot find any money to actually give to our own people? And this resonates uh, with the general public. And this is why it's, it's sparking uh, so much uh, criticism uh, across the board.
And yet, there is another layer of that decision. There have been reports coming in from different cities in Turkey that this donation campaign of the president is somewhat forced upon the public. The notices that were sent out to schools and some administrative branches of the central government advised the workers to contribute to the campaign. And certainly, in a country like ours, where the bureaucracy has a habit of being more royalist than the king, obviously I stole the expression from French, you cannot expect that piece of advice of their immediate superiors to be taken lightly by the civil servants. It's not hard to imagine whoever received those notices could not help but question whether their phones were under surveillance, whether the authorities would be able to spot if they had really contributed to the campaign via text messages. Or, even if they were willingly going to donate to the campaign anyways, they might be feeling under pressure, not knowing how much of a donation would be enough in the eyes of their superiors. This is unfair, unethical, unjustifiable, to say the least, John. Moreover, there were some other news stories suggesting some public institutions told their employees that they would deduct certain amounts of donation automatically from salaries. After these stories appeared in some Turkish newspapers, President Erdogan's communications director, Fahrettin Altun, uh, came out and made a statement on social media that such actions are not acceptable and this is not a forced campaign. But maybe it was already too late to say it after irresponsible acts by some managers in civil service. One final comment on the donations, Jan, if I may. Although the presidency insists that contributions are left to people's free will, it's still striking to see how enthusiastic some major Turkish corporations have been in supporting President's cause. One example is the Demiran family, who, two years ago, on President's orders, bought the media empire that owns both CNN Turk and major Turkish daily Hürriyet, where I used to work until I resigned last year, by the way. Last week, Demirans donated 6.7 million Turkish liras, more than $1 million dollars, to President Erdogan's coronavirus campaign. Of course there are other members of the big business in Turkey who did so. Why I feel like mentioning the Demirel family here particularly has a lot to do with recent history. I must say that an ugly page in Turkish media's history. Five or six months ago, they fired 45 journalists from Daily Hürriyet and then they refused to pay their redundancy payments, something the company is obliged to do so by law. Certainly they thought they would get away with this. The case is at the court now, but it will be at least two years of a legal struggle for my colleagues. Contributing to the donation campaign of the president made it crystal clear that Demirer and family do have so much more cash than paying the layoff benefits of the journalists they had fired. But of course they chose not to do so because they know they can get away with that by being close to President's circle and paying the dues to remain close. I believe we should definitely do an episode to talk about what's happening in the media landscape in Turkey to disclose all this recklessness in what is left of the mainstream media in Turkey, of course if the coronavirus lets us alone at some point. But for today, uh, we are coming to a close jam, and before we do so, 
I would like to share an interesting piece of news from Turkey's recent best friend, Russia. Russian President Putin extended a national no-work order to the end of April. And millions of Russians, they, they have stay-at-home orders. The country is in an official non-work period. And we are talking about a massive country. So if Russia can do it, why Turkey cannot? Well, that's, yeah, that's interesting because particularly also you need to consider the fact that, you know, oil prices are at a historic low. So, you know, uh, Russia doesn't really have the kind of surplus to, you know, to give to uh, its people. Although maybe one speculation I could make is the Russian society in general is more used to times of lacking resources. Maybe they have other societal mechanisms that help them get through uh, such times. Uh, quite frankly, I don't know. But it's very interesting, like you said, that Russia can afford to uh, do this, particularly uh, given the low-level oil prices. John, today I also wanted to cover the situation of the political prisoners in Turkey and um, focus on former HDP leader Selahattin Demirsay's declining health in prison, coupled with the recent threats uh, posed by the, the COVID outbreak. But we sure need uh, more than a few minutes to talk about uh, the failing justice system in Turkey. So maybe next week. Anything you might want to add before we say goodbye? I agree with you, John. So I think that discussion needs uh, more merit and more uh, longer discussion. And as you know, Turkey entered the most critical two, three weeks. So like every time, try to stay at home and try to stay healthy. See you next week. Hold on to your loved ones, feed your soul and try to remain calm. Until next week, goodbye.